Hello, Maximum Fun members. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Inside Pop that only you get to hear. We truly appreciate your support, both the time that you spend listening to hundreds of hours of Max Fun podcasts and also your generous financial donation. And so on this special episode, we're going to share a little bit about ourselves and our influences by way of discussing two of our favorite things, pop culture and our hometown of New York City. That's right. We're each going to discuss two of our favorite New York-centric pop culture creations and our personal connections. But first, in case you're a new listener, Inside Pop is the bi-weekly podcast that dives inside the world of pop culture. Each episode, we feature an in-depth conversation about music, television, and film, and also speak to the people who create the pop culture you crave. Yep, we get to interview lots of interesting people uh, from Dee Reese, the great director of Mudbound and Pariah and Bessie. We've interviewed the DP of such great documentaries as Won't You Be My Neighbor and 20 Feet from Stardom. We've interviewed casting directors and writers and directors and showrunners. So people who really open up the world and go inside pop culture with us. Uh, and so, so it's a thrill for us as two television producers who are also fans of pop culture to talk to these creators and ask them fanboy and fangirl questions, as well as the very serious questions that illuminate the craft that they so wonderfully embody. We have a segment at the very end of every single podcast called The Big Sell. And this is a segment where we share something that we're enjoying in pop culture with each other, but also with you all. So we're, we're actually going to give you a little bit of a taste of The Big Sell on this special episode because we're actually going to talk, as we mentioned, about each of us are going to talk about two of our favorite New York-connected, New York-centric pop culture items. And if you haven't heard of these or if you haven't experienced these... We hope that we talk about them passionately enough that you are going to be interested in checking them out. So, uh, so yeah, so, so think of this as a very long, big sell. Um, and, and hopefully uh, you'll learn a little bit about us and also a little bit about the culture we're talking about. So I am, as I said, New York is my hometown. I was born... In New York City. I grew up in New York City. After college, I returned to New York City. So New York City is my hometown. Um, it's also New York City. So I want to choose, for my first pick, Amita, I'd like to choose an album. And when I thought, mm. yeah, I want to talk about an album that feels very New York to me. And listen, there are so many New York classic songs about New York. Um, for me, some of my favorites are Leaving New York by R.E.M., of course, Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z, of course, mm -hmm. um, Autumn in New York, uh, Lena Horne's version especially. And then even there's some songs like Here Comes the Rain Again by Eurythmics. And one interview, I heard Annie Lennox talking about how she and Dave Stewart wrote that while in a hotel room in New York City. So it has nothing to do with New York, but I just know that that song. <laughs> so uh, I, I consider that a New York song. But um, I am actually going to choose an album by a non-native New Yorker as one of my favorite New York albums. And it's an album called Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea by the singer PJ Harvey. Do you know this album, Amita? No, no, I, I am really intrigued by this choice. All right. Well, so this is, it's, I think it's a great album, and I also have a very personal connection to it as a New Yorker. So um, in case you don't know PJ Harvey, I really want you to. Um, people she reminds me of, Chrissy Hind, Patti Smith, 
Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees. Um, but so she reminds me of all those wonderful, amazing, kick-ass women rockers, but she's also very unique unto herself. And so she released an album, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, in October of 2000. And the album was written while she was in New York. She lived in New York for about nine months. She's English, but she was in New York making a film, actually, and lived here for nine months and wrote many of the songs on stories while in New York. She says, this is not my New York album, but I I can't think of like a better love letter to the city. So... The songs are about romance. The songs are about young 20-something love and heartbreak. And for me, I always think about living in the West Village with my future husband, then boyfriend. Then I, we, were just, we were just shacking up. Shacking up in the West <laughs> Village. But I feel like that album just described what we were going through, right? Like you're, you're, you're in your 20s and you've been living together for two years and you're in love and things are getting deeper and it's romantic and it's complicated and it's heartbreaking and it's carefree. And all of those adjectives are evoked by Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. There were just like such amazing, amazing lyrics, and and there's and they evoke such amazing moments in New York. Like there's this great lyric. It's from the song called "You Said Something," and uh, she sings on a rooftop in Brooklyn at one in the morning, watching the lights flash in Manhattan. I see five bridges, the Empire State Building, and you said something that I've never forgotten. Like that, those lyrics make me like I just I, I give myself chills when I when I read them because it's just like you've just painted a picture right and you've created this moment and i kind of get exactly what you're talking about so beautiful 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 and evocative but for me this album then takes on a second meaning amita because she toured and i saw pj harvey on september 6th 2001 oh wow interesting yeah and so, wow. sadly, we know what happened less than a week later in New York City. And so, I always think then of like, so it's the last concert I saw before 9 11, right? 9 11, mm-hmm. you, you, I don't think you can overstate it. You can't overstate it. 9 11 changed our lives, it changed New York City, it changed our country. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it was literally the end of an era. And so I think about these kind of beautiful, heartbreaking, gorgeous celebratory songs that she performed. And I really do think about it as this was the last time that I had that level of carefreeness. That's not a word, but I'll say it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a New York that doesn't exist anymore that cannot exist. And I feel like she captured it. Uh, in that album, as as a non-New Yorker, right, looking through the eyes of this English woman who had been here. But I think sometimes that's like the most interesting way that things can be looked at from an outsider's point of view. So I really hmm. just kind of cherish this album. I hadn't listened to it in years. So to prepare for this interview, I listened to it today and love it just as much as I did back in 2000. Wow. I'm definitely going to listen to this album. I'm so curious to hear these songs and these lyrics that you love so much. Um, Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I hope uh, everyone, if you haven't checked out this great, great, great seminal album, please do. 
So um, give us uh, your pick, please, for a, a pop culture, a New York-centric pop culture creation that you connect with. Uh, it is probably a more obvious selection if you think of New York and you think of pop culture uh, in the recent decades. You think of Sex and the City, and that show was really, really um, important to that period of time from like it started in 1998 and then it went uh, until 2004. And I'm going to date myself, but that period of time, I was coming into my 20s and getting my first job in New York. And so watching this show and seeing these fabulous women and all of these iconic locations all over the city was just a dream come true for me. Like it was so fun and fabulous. And I was just like, I want to be like these women. And I, I, I have no idea what that life is like that Samantha lives and Carrie lives. You know, I was not born in New York. I was actually born in New Jersey and I lived and I lived there, um, for many years. I went to college there, uh, but I worked in the city right after college. And so the city I used to call is my part-time lover um, for many years. I currently live in the city now, but for many years in my 20s into my 30s, I was in New Jersey. But I was commuting to this city that was just so glamorous in Sex in the City. And the what was really wonderful about the show is that you got to see all four of these women's lives that were very different mm-hmm. in the way that they lived them in Manhattan and then eventually when Miranda moved to Brooklyn. Um, but it was it was just, I think, because I was in my 20s, I was young, I was carefree as well, and I just wanted to be fashionable and to have a Cosmo. It definitely got me into Cosmos, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And to, to, you know, learn about dating and sex and all of these things that you didn't get on TV also for, you know, on that level. And, um, you know, also to just see four strong, independent, really, um, well-rounded characters live this life that let's be honest, isn't completely real. Fantasy. (laughs) So much of it was fantasy, but, (laughs) but it was so fun to escape into the New York that they created. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. And you listen, you are not alone. I'm right there with you, standing beside <laughs> you. I love, 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 love that love that show. I used to go to Sex in the City viewing parties where only women and gay men were allowed to <laughs> it wasn't really a rule, but essentially only women and gay men wanted to I was just gonna say travel that, yeah. <laughs> to uh, uh, an apartment on the upper west side and watch Sex in the City. Uh we had mm-hmm. so much fun, so much fun. And interestingly, there's Emily Nussbaum, the TV writer for The New Yorker, wrote this amazing appreciation of Sex in the City. I guess it had some kind of anniversary a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she basically said, Sex in the City doesn't get enough credit. Uh, yes, it's fashion. Yes, it's cosmos. Yes, it's this fantasy life of four Caucasian women living in New York. It's not very diverse. But she said, you know, the writing and the character building. She said, like, Sex in the City should be considered with The Sopranos, with Six Feet Under, with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, with, mm-hmm. like, the beginning of prestige TV. And, you know, she thinks because it was mainly about women and their love lives um, and fashion, very fashion heavy, that it doesn't get that credit. But um, mm-hmm. but I agree. You know, like, talking about antiheroes, Carrie Bradshaw was not always likable. Carrie Bradshaw did not always make the right 
decisions, quite mm-hmm. often you wanted her to learn and sometimes learn in a hard way. And, you know, like, it's like just like Tony Soprano, just like um, Walter White. Yeah, you know, and I think I think that's why I, people love the show, because she wasn't perfect. Yeah, she didn't make the right decisions. You could relate in some way to some of the decisions she made, you know, and sometimes not, obviously. But I think that's what that show kind of clued into. And I don't think there was that much television doing that. then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love love Sex in the City. <laughs> Me too. Love that show. The only thing I don't love about Sex in the City was going out to brunch and sitting next to a bunch of women who thought they were Samantha, Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda. Nightmare. Other than that, <laughs> it's a great show and 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 it honors New York. Love it. It completely does. Yeah. I, that show taught me about Fleet Week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sleep thank on you for Fleet that. Week. Thank you, Sex and the City, for that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> what is uh, your next New York pick? My next New York pick. All right, let's get some diversity up in here, shall we? Yes, please. Uh, yeah, as an African-American New Yorker, I it behooves me to choose. Again, this might be an obvious choice, but it's a choice that must be made. Amita. Yes. Amita. Yes. Always do the right thing. Always. Spike Lee's arguably best film ever, (laughs) Do the Right Thing, came out, Amita Patel, are you ready? 30 Mm -hmm. years ago this year. Mm -hmm. 1989. And we've all heard it. Hopefully you've all seen it, but we've all heard what a great film it is. Um, But so I want to talk a little bit about how, why, why, why I love it so much and why it's personal for me, essentially because I grew up in Brooklyn in the 80s in a neighborhood not very different from the Bed-Stuy Spike Lee depicts in the film. I grew up in Crown Heights, which is essentially Eastern Parkway divided, uh, sorry, Atlantic Avenue divided Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy. So I essentially grew up on that block with Demare and Mother Sister and <laughs> all those names. Sweet Dick Willie, the, the best names in any movie. Sweet Dick Willie, <laughs> Demare, uh, Bugging Out, uh, Radio Mookie. Raheem. Mookie. Mookie. <laughs> Mookie, I'm sick of you. Uh, oh, best and- <laughs> opening credit sequence ever, also. The best. Rosie the Perez, best. bow down. Yes. Be ashes. So it's so for me, it was. I mean, we you know we we've talked a lot on our podcast about seeing yourselves on screen. I saw my neighborhood on screen. The things I didn't like about my neighborhood, the people I didn't like in my neighborhood, the people I liked, the people I didn't really know that well but knew existed and had thoughts about them. There was my neighborhood on the screen, and Spike Lee turned it into art. And so I can't truly describe what a powerful experience is that experience that was for me. And it, it's it's all true. I mean, yes, it's like hyper-visual and it has that very distinct Spike Lee dialogue, but it was so real. The tensions between the Korean deli people and the – like everyone, Asians, mm-hmm. blacks, whites, Latinos. Um, it was all there and Spike Lee showed the beauty of it and Do the Right Thing and he shows the 
potential violence of it and the challenges of it. And, and it's, I feel like it was a movie really made for me. It was so, so, so exciting to see that film. And again, I would love to see it. Uh, I think I have the DVD somewhere. Um, and I, I need to pull that DVD out and watch it sometime this year to honor its 30th anniversary, but it feels as alive and vibrant now, I believe as it did 30 years ago. I was just going to say that, and I I wonder if they're going to do some type of screening or something for the 30-year anniversary. I hope they do. Um, I hope, you know, Spike puts something together. He loves Brooklyn. He's always there. He's shooting, you know, the second season of She's Gotta Have It and Mm -hmm. always does his Michael Jackson party there. So, like, I feel like there hopefully is something to commemorate it, and I would love to try to go see it if it goes back into a theater because of it. Um, I did think of this film to put on my list and then I saw it on your list, but (laughs) I do, you know, for me, I didn't grow up in Brooklyn, right? I grew up in Jersey and I did not, um, I didn't see a film where I could understand the culture of Brooklyn and Manhattan. Like I did in that film Mm -hmm. at a young age, right? I was much younger. I did see that film when I was younger and I was never more, influenced by seeing a a neighborhood and all of the different fabrics of that neighborhood. Like you mentioned the, you know, Radio Rahim and the Korean deli owner and Sal and Mookie. And it was just, it was, it was rare to see so much representation in a film at that point in time in film. And so I think that's one thing that was so enlightening to me to see that on the big screen, first of all, but then the actual themes of the film and the humor in it the music in it, the drama and the violence in it, it had so many different, you know, um, different genres all kind of rolled up into one. Yeah. And, and that's why I think it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal film. And, uh, I love, I love the New York that they portray there. It's not the best New York always, but it's truly New York. Yeah, yeah. Samuel Jackson is in it. I mean, ah, everyone. Yes. Such a, he's Spike Lee. You know, even when he's not at his filmmaking best, he has such an eye for casting. I mean, the first time mm-hmm. I saw Sam Jackson, I think was probably is a Spike Lee movie. I guess it was Do the Right Thing, and then he made Jungle Fever. Um, mm-hmm. Ruby Dee and Ozzie Davis. You know, he went intergenerational, right? Like they were old classic yes. black actors, and he brought them into the film. And Giancarlo Esposito, first time I saw him, yes. do the right thing. Uh, Rosie Perez, first time you saw her, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Such an eye for talent. And yeah, so vibrant. I feel like I could talk about this movie forever. But um, yeah, me too. yeah I'm, I'm glad you like it as well. And it's interesting, me who grew up in Brooklyn, you who grew up in New Jersey. Um, other side of the track, Samita? We, are we from <laughs> we're from two different worlds um Maybe. <laughs> we're from two different river, worlds on the other side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> we had two rivers separating us yes all right so amita patel yes i would love to hear your next and final selection <laughs> for new york city pop culture it's an interesting choice i had a lot of films that i wanted to discuss um that are just iconic New York films to me. Um, like West Side Story, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Big, um, When Harry Met Sally. There's just so many really cool moments in these films that that I will always treasure and remember well. But when I kept thinking of, you know, 
New York centric films, there's one that keeps coming to the top of mind, which came out in 1988. So I was a child, but a baby, not a baby, but I was a child. And I think I must've, I think I caught it once it was out of the theaters and it was on TV. And uh, so it was a little bit later than, than when it came out, but working girl Mm. starring Harrison Ford and, Melanie Griffith and Alec Baldwin and Joan Cusack and Sigourney Weaver. Like just a a great star studded cast Um, directed by Mike Nichols. It was an amazing New York film. And I think I want to say like, I feel like it was an incredible um, thing for me to see at a young age to kind of really see an independent female trying to make it on her own and like, scrappy doing what she can to to like get into the business and you know really impress people like it was just a a great kind of not a coming of age but like this interesting kind of transformation story that I really connected with also Carly Simon let the river run best song from a movie in the 80s hands down in my opinion but also always because I will never forget that wonderful song and Melanie Griffith on that Satin Island Ferry. (laughs) Could you give us just like a bar? Could you give us? uh... (laughs) Let the river run. Okay. It's so good. It's going to give me chills. I love that song. Love that movie. I am. Thank you for choosing this. Oh my God. I love this movie. And like, if anybody hasn't seen this movie, go see it just for some great throwback 80s hair, sneakers, like shoulder pads. Shoulder, yeah, shoulder pads, blue eyeshadow. Like Joan Cusack in this film is unlike any other with the looks that she has. Amazing New York accents. Amazing New York yes. accents from her and Melanie Griffith. This contains yes. my favorite, one of my favorite quotes. It's when Sigourney Weaver's character is being so fucking condescending to Melanie Griffith's character. Sigourney Weaver is the, you know, like the wealthy, successful, highly educated, waspy boss. And Melanie Griffith is the big haired Staten Island secretary. Temp. Not even a full time secretary. She's a temp. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and Sigourney Weaver's just giving her a lot of unsolicited advice. And she basically is talking about her hair. And she's like, Tess. If you want to be taken seriously, you've got to have serious hair. <laughs> That's my favorite. As someone who's bald, I feel I like I just love, 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 love that line. It's a great quote that you have there because that is really funny. Um, the quote that I love, and I will still stand by this, um, is when Melanie Griffith is at a bar with Harrison Ford. They're meeting for the first time. And she knows who he is and is trying to impress him. He has no idea who she is and who she works for. Um, and she just says, I've got a mind for business and a bod for sin. Love that line. It's like my motto. No, I'm kidding. Do you say, yeah. When do you say that to yourself, Amita? Because we know you do say that to yourself. When do you say that to yourself? Like, you know, if I'm like feeling it in like a nice outfit, <laughs> getting ready for work. Yeah. Business casual sexy. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think it's Melanie Griffith at her sexiest, honestly. It, that is such a fun, sexy film, but also this great, inspiring film of somebody young trying to make it and and 
really working the system in some way, but really making her presence known and becoming that working girl. And uh, yeah, I love it. I love it so much. And isn't that what New York City is all about, Amita? People mm-hmm. coming here to fulfill their dreams. Sometimes those dreams get crushed and stomped on, and then other times they flourish. And But I think quite, quite often, whether you are a native New Yorker or a transplant, they shift a little bit. And as you grow up and grow older, it's like your dreams change a little bit. And then like different things happen to you in the city. It's, uh, it's, I just love the city so much. It's amazing. Every day is an adventure. Some days are frustrating. Um, but every day is pretty special. Uh, very much so. Very much so. It's the concrete jungle where dreams are made of, guys. Ooh, that's catchy. You better put that in some bars and wrap it. <laughs> I actually sang that at um, karaoke a few weeks ago, and it was so fun to to like belt out that song in New York. Who is the Jay-Z to your Alicia Keys? Uh, my friend Cece. Shout out, Cece. <laughs> oh, what's up, girl? You look nothing like Jay-Z, Cece, no, if you're listening. It's okay. <laughs> but she, she got flow. She got flow. <laughs> Cece, actually, I hope Cece's listening because that means that she, like everyone else listening, has joined Max Fun as a member. Yes, I hope Cece is listening. I hope she is a member and is enjoying this bonus episode. I think that's a great place to finish uh, and say thank you all for listening, Cece or not Cece. And uh, make sure if you are interested in hearing more of us gush about pop culture, Catch a new episode of Inside Pop every other Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere you find great podcasts, and of course, on MaximumFun.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pop Insiders, and also head over to Facebook and check out our Facebook page. We have a lot of great episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks and months, including interviews with some really great directors and writers and producers, plus coverage of the final season of Game of Thrones. If you love Game of Thrones, you'll definitely want to keep listening to our podcast because we're going to cover it in really interesting, different, surprising, and expected ways. Um, Plus a special spring pop culture preview. All that's ahead for Inside Pop. Thank you again for your awesome support. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.